Six meditation myths. Well, what do you got up? What's number? Uh, number one, it's all about stopping your thoughts. The I can't meditate people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have people that when they find out that's what I teach. They just look at me and they say, I can't do that. Otherwise known as I won't do that. Exactly. Well, and that's e- that the, the ego is strong, right? Because, I mean, it's not that we stop our thoughts. It's more that we don't take them as seriously. Well, and there is, there is people that claim, and maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't for each person, that after you get to a certain point, your, your thoughts will briefly stop. Mm-hmm. But then right away you'll think, I'm not thinking. And then you're thinking again. So then that's over. Yeah, the continuous quest back to center, to that space mm-hmm. of observation of thought. And I think the more you try to fight your brain over not thinking, it's just the brain fighting itself. Because that's the thing, like, even if you're like thinking, am I thinking? You're still thinking. Maybe it should be, people should be trying not to stop their thinking, but to have less frantic thoughts. Yeah. Or for me, it was to know what was true. I'm very imaginative. I think a lot of, a lot of people are uh, stuck in running around in circles in their head. Yeah. So they're go- they should see the goal not as to stop doing that, but to just slow the hamster down. That's right. Like, get off the wheel. It's okay if your head's not rushing to the next thing. Because for me, that's what anxiety is. I will snowball that until I am a biological disaster to the form where I'm actually like feeling my frantic thoughts in shortness of breath, in, uh, I can create super hyperactivity and then an extreme space of becoming lethargic. Well, and every once in a while I get so high strung that I'm running in circles in the house, you know, cooking, cleaning, whatever. And it's just one thing has to follow. Another thing has to follow another thing. And my thoughts are doing the same thing when that's going on. Oh yeah. You're just acting it out. And I watch myself doing this now thinking, (laughs) well, sometimes it's fun when that happens, but it's all good. If you know where you're at. Mm -hmm. right if you could recognize oh look i'm running around like a lunatic maybe i can just sit here for a sec collect myself and for me i I, well i don't know about i can't speak for anyone else but when i make emotionally charged decisions Mm -hmm. they're usually not that great like if i'm making big life choices while running around in that you know space of frantic doing Typically, I end up taking on more than I should or get married a couple times. So, yeah, we need to reframe it as not stop thinking, but be aware of your thinking. Yeah. What are you telling yourself? Yeah. What is the dialogue? You could still, you could still consider it meditation if you're thinking frantically, but you're actually looking at each thought on the way by. Not paying them so much severity. Mm-hmm. They could frantically whip by, though. Oh, yeah. At least to start, and then they'll slow down. Yeah, because they're like, oh, look at you go. I mean, to have compassion for the mind, too. Don't just try and shut it off. Because maybe that's the war. People are either trying to shut off the will of the heart and hear the brain, or they're trying to shut off the brain and completely just follow the whim of the heart, where I don't know if either of those one-way paths is going to get you anywhere Mm -hmm. my heart's desire is often fleeting and my mind is often quite restricting so maybe a a balance between the two that's what i'm after anyway 
compromise compassion, compassion for the heart, compassion for the mind. Well, I guess our, our goal is not to stop our thinking because that would make us unconscious. Mm-hmm. You just be a potato. Am our I goal supposed- has to be coldness. TV, hey? Yeah. Completely unconscious, unaware of the surroundings, but one point focused on the mind to the blinky box. Yeah, but you're still thinking about what's going on on, the, on that TV. That's right. Or feeling mm-hmm. intense. But that's the escape from a feeling what, from feeling what surrounds you. Well, so that's, uh, that's another thing we can, we can talk about. <laughs> Meditation is a way to escape, and I'm not running away. I'm not into running away inside my head. No. What do you think of that statement of people that might say, well, you meditate, so... You're just escaping from reality. I personally would offer that I'm immersing myself in it. That's what I would think too, but that's, it's a misconception that they might have where they see someone just sitting there and thinking they've totally retreated from reality and they're, and they, they've turned their backs on reality. You're an airhead yoga teacher. (laughs) Happy, happy, go lucky. And you know, no. I hear you. But that's not what you're, I, I, I'm sure some people are trying to do that when they meditate, but that is not what we're trying to do anyway. No, I'm not trying to get anywhere, but right here. Yeah, we're actually doing the opposite of escaping. We're learning to be here. Right here. And are my needs met right here? And like 99% of the time, my needs are met. And how grateful am I for that? If, uh, if you really fight, fight against the idea of meditation, you might have to ask yourself, um, what am I afraid of here? Why am I, uh, why do I want to escape the idea of meditation? Do I not want to be here? Exactly. So it's a mirror of the exact op, the exact <laughs> thing that they're it's afraid the of. Exactly. Well, I think when, uh, when I meditate anyway, I start seeing the stories I'm telling myself. <laughs> and some of them are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and you write them down. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> so when we're practicing meditation, we're starting to know ourselves and how we react to the world. Gauging our reaction rather than the external stimulus. There is. Um, I'm a member of the Order of the Jedi in Canada, <laughs> which... I haven't really, I'm not a practicing Jedi by any means. I just signed up one day, but I was reading through one of the supporting articles by one of the other people that is signed up. So he's not directly affiliated with Disney or anything like that. He's just a guy, but he was saying that in order to become a true Jedi, this is his version of the meditation. You sit there and you forget about your body. Then you forget about the world until eventually you're just, totally gone and just in your own mind and you've tuned every single thing out and that's the meditation that he practices almost like sensory deprivation yeah yeah and that's fine and that would be retreating from the world i had imagined that would increase your concentration abilities but i haven't tried that specific kind of meditation i think i've done something similar But even if you briefly disconnect from the world using that specific kind of a meditation, you're still not running from reality because you're still coming back. And in theory, at least you're coming back. Oh, some people sit there. (laughs) 
is that a way of checking out too, right? Like, is that a way I've... Well, I think just joining the, the Order of the Jedi and then focusing that hard on meditation is checking out from reality, yes. <laughs> Can you bring meditation to the present moment? Like, mm-hmm. in that moment, sure, he's escaped and he's... Or he's resting. He's resting his mind. But you can put that to anything. Knitting, playing the guitar. Like when people play the guitar, they're so focused on finding the chords that their mind is is blank. They're one point focused into that. So he's just one point focused to the ether. Well, that's entering the zone, right? Yeah. So being in the zone is different from mindfulness meditation. Yes. But what is he doing? Is that mindfulness meditation or is that just hitting the zone from a, just a seated meditation? I don't think it could be mindfulness because he's not being mindful is becoming aware of things mm-hmm. and sitting, disconnecting yourself from the world is becoming unaware of things. So it can't be the same thing. Like if you, if you look at uh, painting Mm-hmm. And you can, you can hit the zone painting, right? Mm-hmm. You can be painting or drawing and you can totally forget what's going on all around you. You might have music playing or something, and, but you won't even hear that. Mm-hmm. All you'll see is brush strokes or pen strokes, mm-hmm. charcoal, whatever you're working on. And you are not thinking about, there's no way you could think about bills or, you know, what your dog is doing in the corner or anything like that because you are in the zone. So that is becoming unaware. Whereas if you were sitting there mindfully meditating on your breath, you most likely would be aware of some of your surroundings, at least your breath, if nothing else, Mm -hmm. and your thoughts. And you might think about your bills Mm -hmm. because you haven't shut yourself off from everything. I'm curious if it's a paradox all on its own. Well, I think we probably enter, we flop back and forth between the two states naturally, right? Mm Mm-hmm. We, we're capable of one-pointed concentration mm-hmm. and then we're capable of knowing more of what's going on around us and we're not supposed to be in either one uh, all the time. Mm-hmm. But they probably build on each other. It's just like, a, like your forearm and your, and your bicep, they work together. If you just build up your forearm strength, but you don't have any bicep strength, then you got nothing. Kind of like fast yoga and slow yoga are required. Yeah. So just focusing on one, you're, you're only developing one side of yourself. When I'm painting or I'm dancing, I am harnessing the energy into creation. And when I'm seated, I am experiencing creation, just a part of it all simultaneously. Is that kind of what you mean? Like the two different focuses? Like, yeah. 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 Well, you need to, in between creation... You can't just create, create, create. You always have to stop and let things catch up and arrive. Mm -hmm. The act and rest as creation itself. Yeah. Yeah. Because the trees are going to bloom whether, you know, when they're ready to bloom, they're not going to bloom because you want them to. In that case, spring would get here in like Mm -hmm. mid-January. When it's minus 40 out. Mm -hmm. I'd be melting the snow with my mind. (laughs) Instead, instead I vacation. (laughs) So that gets down to another thing that people think is that meditation is hard and you need to sit in lotus position and be very dedicated and do hard things. That would be like starting in, starting your garden in January. (laughs) 
are hard things hard though? Well, I don't know. Just sitting down and thinking isn't hard. And that's where you start Mm -hmm. stopping and thinking when people say it's hard. um, It's, it doesn't take a lot of effort. It takes, is there effort in stopping yourself from using effort? Yes. The conditions that (laughs) that, um, there is conditioning in us that says that we are useful if we're productive. And to sit there and do nothing does not seem productive, even though it is huge, huge. Really, it's impulses that we're looking at, right? So um, I think at least to start with, you're not aware that you don't have to follow your impulses. (laughs) You, uh, You just automatically have an impulse and then jump up and start doing the thing. And I remember when I was starting meditations, I'd be sitting down and then I would think, but I got to do this. I got to get ready for work or I have to, you know, something was urgent, had to be done right away. And then I'd have to stop and think five minutes, I'm not, five minutes is not going to make any difference, but I would still want to jump up and do the thing, mm-hmm. whatever it was. So, but that's different than hard to me. Hard is um, helping somebody move everything in their house. That's hard. That's terrible. <laughs> I hate moving things. <laughs> well, just the, the struggle of packing all the things up and then, and then you move them to the next location and then unpacking them. Yeah. I don't know. That's, that's tragically hard to me. People are, from my experience, fairly disconnected from their bodies. And to ask them to sit in stillness and connect them to their bodies, they start to, they have to feel it whatever they've created. Cause that's the thing too, is to yoga will ask us to look at our life as we've created it and accept responsibility for what we've, we've created. And I'm not saying that if terrible things or traumas have arrived into your life that you explicitly created them. Moving. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, but can, what are you doing mentally? Cause, uh, kind of where I was going before for my emotionally charged decisions. So if I'm disconnected from my body, if I'm disconnected from the present, I'm going to create a bunch of stuff based on these lower vibrating, emotionally charged decisions. So my impulses get stronger. You know, my, my um, aversion, aversion to, to being with myself gets stronger. So to sit is... Um, simple but extraordinarily hard just like to breathe i teach people how to breathe and they show up mm-hmm. breathing but even moving the breath or because the mind is used to the body just handling the breath and then when you start to focus on the breath the mind's like wait the, you know like this communication has to take place for the mind to be able to realize that it has effect on the physical body did i go too deep there i don't think so Basically, doing nothing is hard because so much is actually going on. So much. Yeah. But I'm not saying... I want people to respect what they're trying to do, I guess, by that statement. In that when you do go to sit and it doesn't happen, that it is a practice. It's not just for lucky people. It's a continuous practice of being comfortable in the space of nothingness. Okay, well... It isn't hard. What about, 
What about the idea that you need to sit in a specific position though? We've people keep coming back to this one too. I've, yeah. And they're always worried about it. I, we, I used to be worried about it. And like that one lady in our class last week, she pointed out that for certain kinds of meditation, they're very strict about how you need to sit and, mm-hmm. and what position your body needs to be in. And it does help with your concentration, but you don't have to start there. No, you don't start in the NBA. That's right. You're not, you don't start in the Olympics. No, <laughs> you know, like, and that's why I don't understand. And maybe because it looks so easy. People are disappointed maybe when they, it doesn't just, they're not just, they don't just go in all stars. Is that I started my practice, I was 350 pounds and it was not, I was not able to sit um, for any length of time just because of the pressure of the weight on my vertebra. And it was, I've been, I've been doing yoga now for two, over two years, almost every single day and meditating almost every day, sitting cross-legged. And I'm nowhere near to getting into lotus position yet. And I don't know if I ever will, because not everybody's joints are shaped to make it easy to do. And that's so primitive to make it about the destination, right? There's nothing special that's going to happen when anybody hits lotus pose. I mean, you could break it down to like the, yes, it's a better flow of energy for your body, but you're definitely no more valuable in lotus position than you are even laying down. It's about the resonance of peace that comes over you when you start to offer that vibration, vibrates out. So whatever position will offer you the vibration of peace is probably more valuable than achieving a physical posture. Well, and the the fight to get to that position over months might not be worth it. No. Like, the, the amount of effort I'm going to need to go through to continually work on my joints to get to that spot and the amount of pain that that's going to be is going to detract from actually just sitting there and meditating to start with. Mm-hmm. And then every time I get up, I'm going to be able to be all sore for a few hours. <laughs> I, I know how much effort it would be because I've already done that effort just to sit in the Indian style, yeah. which I can do now. It probably just happened when you weren't forcing it. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. If people are trying to, I mean, the more you obsess over losing weight, the harder it's going to, to be, because you start to just hyper focus and overthink it. You know? I really hope to, like, the manifestation part of it, that you can have what you want if you don't obsess over it. Mm-hmm. Obsessing over it is if you are wanting something desperately, then you're going to bring more wanting, Mm -hmm. more desperate wanting, Mm -hmm. which won't result in the thing showing up. No, you'll make emotionally charged decisions. I want him to like me, you know, next thing you don't even know who you are in three years, you know, or four years. Or I want to excel at my job and you start putting on all these roles that aren't necessarily you and what you think you want and what is actually meant for you sometimes can be two different things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you get that focused on one thing, then you turn your back on other things you you could be doing. That would bring you full circle to what you want. I, I really struggle with all these 
spiritual programs that you can see online that offer solutions because we don't know and maybe we think we want something and you set on this hard course to manifest it and maybe it's just you know that want or that desire is probably coming from a space of lack you could fill without it well and they have to label things their their way for no reason it's not good enough for it to be um just the truth it has to be their truth tm yeah and that that's always a problem when you run into that i feel it is because i don't know sometimes the explanation for why a thing is doesn't have to be the right one it could just be one that works that gets you there without a, without a, uh, claiming that it's the ultimate truth <laughs> good luck with the ultimate truth yeah there's about seven billion perspectives of it okay well regarding sitting there's one more in that area I heard that meditation means you've got to sit perfectly still and not move. And I can't do that. So it's definitely not for me. I love that statement because the meditation and the yoga part of that statement is it's not for me. Mm -hmm. You've come to know yourself well enough to know what gets you to that space of presence. And I'm assuming it was a unique recipe for Tim because even through our conversations, we both have arrived to similar spaces on completely different paths. Mm Mm-hmm. And I find that more often than not. But it was your recipe. It's Tim's specific recipe for Tim. Well, I mean, I, it might work great for certain people to yeah. sit perfectly still. But most of them were forced into it. They didn't pick that path. If you look at uh, Zen meditation monks who get basically beat up, like somebody comes by and slaps them on the back if they move around or wax them with a stick. It's terrible. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite meditations. They take the stick when they see you suffering in your seated position. Mm-hmm. They, the Zen master can tell where you're holding the tension. Yeah. And they take the stick and they whap it to that muscle to let the tension go. Yeah, but the, the, there's some of them that will do that if you start fidgeting too. Oh, to yeah. To stop you from fidgeting. There's lots of practices of even yoga that were designed to, like Ashtanga was designed to break their students mentally mm-hmm. so they could absorb the teaching of truth from that Ashtangi master, you know, but still why have to break them when the objective is self-realization? Yeah. I went through basic training in the army. <laughs> they, they break you there through sleep deprivation and yelling That's right. and torture. And then insert new program. Yeah. I don't need that for meditation. No. And then <laughs> I mean, it, But it's all who's holding the power and people need to realize this when choosing a teacher that it's not the most expensive program. Like, What is the integrity behind the program that you're taking? Are you supposed to just adore your your master and your master knows all and all? If they're not waking up the master in you, if they're not shaking up the space within you that is your own guru and can follow your own path, then they're just taking your money. Mm -hmm. And that hasn't changed for, you know, thousands of years. Spirituality has been a sweet hustle. And people will adhere very deeply to what their teacher, and I've heard it a thousand times in the store, my teacher, my teacher, which is fine. But if your teacher is not inspiring the space of you that is teacher, you're being robbed. Well, one of the greatest teachers said, kill your teacher. Exactly. Exactly. Or, you know, one of the most beautiful pieces of advice I've received was 
perhaps you're doing your job as a teacher when your students surpass you. We could bring Bruce Lee into this too. Yeah, let's bring Bruce Lee into it. Because he, his theory was study everything, take the parts that work for you and throw away all the rest of the things. Absolutely. So that's how he got to his position in martial arts. It was his own unique way of using the force. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's Jedi. You know, you want Jedi, Bruce Lee's Jedi. Harness that. But he had to figure out how to harness it. And people were probably put in his path to challenge that and also inspire it. It's way easier to do what someone wants to tell you what to do on a spiritual base. You know, you know I, I grew up Catholic and they'd give me like five Hail Marys or Holy Marys. And, you know, you go do your, your rosary and that was penance or whatever it is you wanted to to let go of, but really what I needed was compassion for myself. At the core of your reactions though, whether anybody wants to admit that they're born with traits or not, <laughs> some of us are born with certain traits. I was born with deep skepticism of pretty much everything anybody says and people say things and I don't believe them unless I think about it and agree. So I, I sometimes will follow something somebody's saying at a church or wherever and then a little ways in I'll start thinking and stop listening to them other people don't seem to have that inborn trait and that's nobody's fault that's just the way it works <laughs> so it probably makes it a lot easier for me to disregard some of these things that you know that we're talking about here and just find my own path maybe other people need that path given to them I guess the path of compliance yeah it, it to them it's to me, it's I am the Borg resistance is futile when people come at me with religion. And to them, it's we all belong together. Mm -hmm. Truth somewhere in the middle there. Yeah. I love it in class when people don't do what I tell them to. I love it. And it's because they're following themselves. And I give them permission to. Mm -hmm. class. I give them permission to do what feels right for them because I really don't want them to take it as seriously as it's been projected, it seems to make it about the destination rather than the joie de vivre on the journey. And I love it when they rebel because I'm just making suggestions. I'm like the universe. You could have this, go ahead. Like, what do you, you know, people struggle in taking what they want or what they feel is best for them. They don't trust it. Well, those preconceived notions get in the way too, because you think that you need this because someone told you you need this or you saw it somewhere and it seemed right to your thinking mind. So then you go hard after that specific pose or that way of sitting or That's certain right. kind of meditation, but that might not be, you have to be open to the options. And he's, he's why don't you, you know, do yoga teacher training? And the truth is every person that sits in front of me, I'm training to be a yoga teacher. It's not reserved for special people who can pay the $3,000. Mm -hmm. Every person that sits in front of me is their own guru. And I, a solid yoga teacher will show them themselves and not tell them what they are, just simply offer them their heart. So be careful of certification. And, you know. Well, I'm going to skip the yoga teacher training, go straight to yoga teacher training teacher. And training. You know, <laughs> you know write a manual for yoga alliance and pay them the two thousand dollars 
and they check over to make sure that you have safety procedures in place and then you're able to fill in the blanks to what is your truth mm-hmm. and then you see it often marketed as the ultimate. I mean, I'm not saying that every yoga teacher training is like this, and there's definitely some legit people out there doing some amazing work um, in fully teaching teachers what they're offering people in the fact that you're not there to be some, you know, guru superstar, but to offer people their own heart. Mm-hmm. So I'm not shitting on all yoga teacher training. It's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just you know, there is a process to becoming a school. Um, it's a very simple process that costs about $2,000. So what are you buying? Who are you, you know, just because their yoga, yoga school does not mean shit, really. Yeah, it's not as heavily regulated as a university or something like that. It's, no, I mean, which... university, I was reading old studies when I was in re- university. Mm-hmm. There'd been new information released past the study that I was reading, and it just happened to be a subject that I was interested in, and the information that I was reading was old and didn't account for the new technology, and therefore the university didn't even update with the current knowledge. So I think it's everywhere. I'm not saying that education isn't important because people are going to take from that. You know, like I'm not saying that some baseline of certification also would just be a free for all, but what are you? What are you buying? What's there's, you know, we're a little astray, but to continue down that line of thought, I've been writing quite a bit lately and I've been reading other people's articles and there is a real problem with people believing that they could be a writer if they haven't gone to post-secondary, which totally to me is utterly ridiculous. Mm -hmm. How does going to a university make you into a writer and you can't be a writer if you haven't gone to university that, just blows my mind that anybody even thinks that way. <laughs> and part of the, and getting back to meditation, same thing. People trust their experts and think that they can't be one because they didn't do the right things right. or they didn't get the right background or they didn't go study underneath of the, the guru or whatever. Or they didn't do the yoga training. So they can't do the thing. They didn't learn Sanskrit. Yeah. You're out of here. Uh, I agree with you, but that's the way it's, it's set up. Mm-hmm. You need to have that skepticism of the system or you're not going to get anywhere. No, and Buddha himself said question <laughs> everything. You know, question my teachings. Do they sit right in your heart? And if not, go find new teachings of your own. And you start, I was really offended when I read that article and then I was paying for old information. I was quite offended. <laughs> and you know, then you look at the guy, like the, the business side of it, looking at the mm-hmm. university as a business. Um, Buddy's been teaching at the university for 22 years and, you know, where's his passion at? The truth was, the truth was what he was teaching when he took his training. You know, how comfortable do we become in our roles? How, mm-hmm. same with, I've seen it with uh, yoga teachers and gurus. Um, doctors. Doctors. That when you become your role, it loses a... A sense of magic and you can i don't know if i brought this up on a previous podcast but it blew my mind there's this lady i we have mutual friends and she's a big vegan writer and she just like rah rah shishkumba cashew butter 
And she got to a point where her body couldn't sustain itself without the protein. So she has this whole group of followers that, you know, meat is evil. And that's the one remedy for her to help her body and save her body was she actually hid and ate meat. Raw protein, like her period stopped running, everything just started, for whatever reason, her body needed meat. And that must have destroyed her in a space. Probably. Uh, she could have She could have went and got help. She did. She went to the doctor. It was on the doctor's order. Oh, there you go. So there's trusting those professionals. But she was really sick. No, but you know what I mean. If you go to a doctor, and that's getting right back to the root of the problem, doctors learn something in school, then never reevaluate it. And they learn nothing about nutrition, but they're an expert, so we all trust them. Well, Doctor was, training doesn't include nutrition. But this lady was apparently a guru in nutrition, right? Like she's Yeah, she was a guru, so she had to trust herself. Yeah. But in doing her teachings and in hearing so hard to her own personal beliefs, mm-hmm. she was put in a position where she had to try something else. And she was forced into hiding instead of being authentic with who she is and saying, this is what I'm going to try. You know, and it reminds me of a story of the Buddha who did something similar, who went completely, like he didn't eat and he was pretty much a breathitarian and living on the minimalist that he could. And then he had a bunch of followers that were doing the same thing. And then Buddha decided one day, well, what about the richness of the experience? And he went to eating meat and people were pissed. But he had the authenticity to change his mind. If you, uh, if you look at your motivations for doing something and the motivation is based in fear or lack, it might not matter what you eat and you might not get what you need out of it. Boom. The penance of selling absolute truth. And, and that's the whole thing. Like, I'm food guru. I'm yoga. You know, you have to not fill a role and live a life. Hmm. Uh, I've heard it a hundred times that, uh, you know, oh, you're a yoga teacher. You shouldn't talk like that. <laughs> 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 Spicy. <laughs> I will not. Yoga has maybe brought that out in me a little. And my ability to accept that I tend to, to rest on the. You just have to say, it's okay. I'm a Zen yoga, te- yoga teacher. I'll hit you with my stick. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> But it's true. I've heard it. No, no part of me sells any sort of peace but inner. And then I have to return to that point. Like, it's just a constant returning to that point. I'm still human. Probably going to get spicy. Yeah, I run into that at work where somebody finds out that, I'm, that I have anything to do with a meditation book. And, and they look at me and you can see the look in their eyes. You're out here with us and you do that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. But those people don't matter to me in that way. So, Well, even then, they just no idea what they're talking about. No idea. Like meditation's been built up to be this super special thing. And really, mm-hmm. it's not. It is, but it's not. That's the paradox of it. It is, but it's not. But the most important things in life aren't the most, what we believe to be the most important things in life. Like it's like how a taste of water feels when you're thirsty 
or how a full belly feels when you're hungry or how that kind of rolls into the next myth on my list in a way. Thank God you're here to bring us full circle. Because <laughs> that next one is it takes years to see results and that's too much time for me. So there's no point in starting. So if you're saying that an experience such as drinking water, um, where meditation is kind of like a baseline experience, like drinking water, right? Mm-hmm. How long does it take to get the results of drinking a glass of water? And any effort taken to try to do meditation is almost instant too. Even if you can't see the results right away, it's absorbed by the system. Mm-hmm. So yes, to get to superhuman levels of meditation, it might take 20 years, but that doesn't mean that there is an instant effects. Or maybe if you didn't have the mental blockages thinking that it would take a million years to, to get there, maybe it would happen quickly. Maybe you just try it once and, and get there. In my experience, hypnotizing people, um, the people who really want to be hypnotized are harder to get under. That old striving desire? Yeah. Desire is a crazy thing if you can't let it go. Because it's ultimately just a fantasy. They are fantasizing what it would like to be hypnotized and they want it. And then they keep, the mind keeps checking in to see what it is, if it's what they expected. So Expectations. Yeah. yeah. What are people expecting from meditation? That's another question. <laughs> well, they're expecting to see, you know, in 20 years, they're sitting on a mountaintop, tuning all of reality out, holding their hands, you know, on their knees, and, and uh, they've reached nirvana, and there's that expectation, right? That that's what it is. I don't know what the average person expects from it, but I think it's superhuman powers. I don't know if it's because I'm pretty (laughs) specialized into anxiety and depression. Um, Most people, yeah, that I see just want to stop the chatter, but even the desire and wanting to stop the chatter will make the process a little harder. That deep, anything that comes from that deep space of want, got to be able to want it and let it go well according to the studies i've read just do it because getting to that if you daily meditated for 20 minutes for 82 days straight you would reach that you would get just over 60 percent of the possible total benefits of meditation who the hell said that they don't know well that's just the studies that i read they they were thinking that that the, the, the calming effect of on the vagus nerve uh-huh. from the breathing and just toning the system down is a large part of what you will feel from meditating every day. And that's why you feel calmer because mm-hmm. you're just toning the whole system down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows whether or not they're right on that, but you do get definitely some effects within say a month. Oh yeah. You, well, shown me that. Yeah. So there's no, there's no need to wait 10 or 20 years to see that something's happening. It's Let go of the want to be special yeah. for love of God. Because <laughs> why do people want that enlightenment? Like, why are people seeking? If you seek nirvana, I don't know if you'll find it. Okay, and that's our last myth. Is it really? Yeah, transcendent awakenings and experiences are the goal, and I'm not into all that hippie stuff. 
yeah, no, I just want to not but, make emotionally charged decisions. But that's that's the that's one of the reasons that the use for not bothering with meditation is because that's the goal and they're not into that stuff. Or they say they're not into it. Because that's another one of those expectations of what meditation is, is the old tie-dyed shirts and, uh, you know, maybe some psychedelic drugs on the side. I think sometimes people <laughs> know they're living a lie. Mm -hmm. And don't know what to do about it. And you usually see it in the denial of any form of spirituality um, because their soul is saying, no, we want to do this, but their mind saying, no, you're obligated and your responsibilities are X, Y, and Z. Okay. And once they crack that box open, like I live like a renegade for the love of God. Once you crack that box open, it just kind of keeps flowing and you get this, excitement for life that I don't know if it's well received because you start doing things that look strange like not normal jobs or you know some people are so unaligned with what their soul wants that to sit with their soul and to hear it creates this battle within so is that the is that what's going on when when you look at somebody with long hair and a tie dyed shirt and you think there's that person's nuts they're not following society they're not they're not buckling down and getting work done they're probably just sitting around all day not at all no people are so complex that I know very intelligent scientific people who like their hair long and their jazz loud. And I know people in suits that run corporations, like the one book that was on Steve Jobs' iPod was, or iPad was, the autobiography of a yogi. Mm -hmm. You know? And I think after the hippie revolution, um, everything was all fine. Some people stayed on the LSD and, you know, continued on with the party. Other people went back to university and they infiltrated a system. So I do, I think that there could be very mystical people in suits and people, some people in tie-dye that are just out to lunch in forms of anger or, you know, alcoholism, like don't let the tie-dye shirt fool you. Well, and we have, we have every every guy out there growing a beard right now too. That's right. Everyone's looking like a hippie. No one will know. So <laughs> everyone's yeah. good hair. <laughs> the old army part of me, the old army trained part of me really struggles with uh, looking at somebody with a beard and taking them seriously. Really? Well, yeah, look at them. <laughs> they, yeah, they're a soldier. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm probably a true Canadian woman. I enjoy a beard. <laughs> so any journey to meditation that is not to hear, I don't understand. Like people that want to be super mystics and, you know, I don't get it. If you're making excuses to yourself why you shouldn't try it, that's fine. If you have no desire to, to try it, that's, that's, fine. But some of these things are just excuses because you're afraid 
too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, life changes when you realize you're playing the game against you and not life itself. Usually it's like rah, rah, shish, against the world. And it really, it's, it, you are playing a game against the limitations of your mind. And can you accept that much power? Do you want to accept that responsibility? Do you want to take the reins to your mind, to your heart, to your life? Do you want to take the reins? Some people enjoy a super submissive position and just want to be told what to do and just stay asleep to their own desires. I mean, they're not asleep to anything but their own selves. They're not asleep to anything but their own potential. Mm -hmm. So you're not really missing out on anything. Ignorance is bliss. Well, and being being worried that you need to start meditation might mean that you're going to have a block that won't let you really make a lot of progress anyway. Yeah, I'm not a valuable person because I don't meditate. Well, mm-hmm. right? Like, and I need to need to work hard at this and get some work done on it. I need to be better. Yeah. Selling broken is big money. If That's- if almost everybody didn't realize that they're partially broken, it wouldn't work. Yeah, that you're whole. And all your shit, you're whole. And I mean, and you can clean up the dustier corners. I'm all for working towards a higher potential within yourself to challenge yourself to be more of the person you see yourself as. And I, I've read lots of studies as well on that people actually think they're more awesome than they are. <laughs> so maybe they, they don't really see too much room for improvement for improvement yeah like on average we think we're 30 percent better looking than we are like our our own ego puts us higher up on a scale of awesomeness just for survival purposes right like the optimistic part of yourself that's right but then there's two sides there's the duality to all of it the paradox to all of it there's two sides to me um if i try to deny my dark side I'm also denying my light side. If I try to deny my light side, I'm also, you know, succumb to dark darkness. But I can't, it, it all exists at once. Mm-hmm. And I can't deny any, any side of it. And really, that's the authenticity in it. I can't deny that I'm spicy or try to be, um, I'm not very bubbly. Right? Like that's associated with yoga that you're happy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> or that, you know, that it's this magical elixir to presence. But I mean, what if it, personally I'm more concerned with can I create peace in a shitstorm? Can I be clear headed to not become overwhelmed? Because I mean, it's all happening at once around me. Life is not linear. You know, my phone's ringing, my kid needs a sandwich, you know, got two students waiting, I got, it's not linear. It's all coming at you at once. And if you expect it, and there's the expectation again, if you expect it to be linear and you can't find peace in this shit storm, I don't know what we're doing. And maybe people don't need it. Maybe there's some people that don't have that problem. I don't know. Well, why don't we, why don't we close out this on expectations? Don't have them. Well, if you don't, if you don't expect certain results from meditation and you're just going to give it a try, then you're not going to be disappointed no matter what. And it'll probably take some of the stress off take because that. you won't be worrying about doing a specific thing, getting to a specific place. And isn't that the ultimate teaching to take that to life? You're not going anywhere in life. Take the expectation out of it. 
uh, have fun with it, play with it, create in it, but don't expect it. Because what you expect is probably not going to come the way you think it's going to come anyway. Your mind is small. Like we can't even see the full range of color around us. No, pretty limited on that scope. And I only got one eye, so I'm even seeing half of that. Like, you know, like, it's take the expectation out of life, out of your yoga practice and have fun. If it turns to shit, it turns to shit. At least you try it. It's better than not trying to like, what is that drive that makes the person want to know what they're capable of? I don't know. Like how good of a life can I create? And I guess maybe it's the taking the reins. Yeah. Pre predetermining what you're going to get out of something. And I mean, even the day, because isn't that how stress and anxiety you kind of start, you map out your day. And then when all the things don't line up exactly how they need to line up for the day to run smoothly, it all turns into a shit show. And it's because you had all these expectations and this, like, if you plan a day and it works out exactly how you planned it that day, that is a miracle. Just because you've planned it doesn't mean that's, you know, and it's the element and people honestly believe that if they plan out their life and they execute the plan and then that's, what's going to make them happy. That's, that's one of the biggest uh, television or movie tropes Mm -hmm. is the person that's waiting at home, makes a fancy dinner and then they're sitting there with the candles lit and nobody shows up mm-hmm. until like two in the morning when they're still waiting up so that they can yell at the person. Mm-hmm. Expectations. And what about gratitude for what comes? It makes more sense to me than to watch and see what comes over expect and be disappointed. Because then the gratitude gets a little richer. It's like, hey, I didn't see that today. Woo, you know, that came. Or, or even last night, um, it's been a long time, but just Erica showed up for class. Okay. If I had expected, you know, the average, you know, five to 15 people or, you know, there's a part of me that could have been really disappointed. But I say a little meditation, but while I'm stretching, it's just let those who need me come. And maybe Erica and I needed that opportunity to connect. And we did. We had a beautiful hour and hour. Well, the class actually went an hour and a half. And it was just that one-on-one time, more theory of yoga than actually doing the poses. Mm-hmm. And I learned in that, you know, in that conversation, that connection, the, it was beautiful for me. But if I had put any sort of expectation or value on it as what I thought of myself as a teacher, maybe that would have been disappointed or disappointing. But it wasn't. It was a beautiful connection that was required. People are confused. They think they know what they need instead of feeling. Yeah. All the best things that have ever happened to me happened when I <laughs> didn't have an expectation or let something different show up. Instead of insisting. Well, yesterday we had our little meeting in the morning. And I was complaining to you about teaching online because I can't hear no one breathe. I can't feel anybody's energy. (laughs) You you sat with me and let me vent for a little while. And I was like, all right, university, please show me a sign. Like, do I need to apply at a different company? Like, what do I, what do I need to do? And, and then the, the Sun Child Reservation phoned. And they're like, are you ready to come back, Kyla? I was like, yeah, you know it. Like, <laughs> so. So that takes the stress off. Yeah. And I mean, it wasn't even stress. Yeah, it was. And it wasn't stress about work. It was more stress that I'd be trapped in teaching online for the rest of my life. And it's just not rich. It's not a rich experience. It's not. 
uh, not what it's meant to be. I mean, it's still beautiful, still happy people are showing up. I love sharing. I love seeing their faces. But it's almost like it's a quarter deep how, we could, how deep we could go. Yeah, it's, superficial. Yeah. Well, it's more about the, the visual. Like people who I've been with for a long time um, have been reporting that nothing's really changed for them they can get to the same space, but I, I don't know if it was a new student and we hadn't spent time in each other's energy. I don't know how that would go. I actually have a, tra a teacher in training that's going to sit in on some of my classes and I'm really curious to see how it relates via the internet to someone who's never taken my class in person. Our energies on fun, you yeah. know, not that we weren't having fun before, but you and I are similar in the space that we have like 15 different projects on the go at all times. Well, I'm going to do my best to keep the expectations out of the way and uh, we'll just do another episode fairly soon. Yeah, here we go. See what comes out. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Everybody out there have a great day or evening. That's right. And um Keep expectations low and the breaths deep, I guess. Eh? That's, right. <laughs> That's right. Keep the expectations low. Like keep the gratitude high. There we go. That's all. Attitude, gratitude. Gratitude.